Hey, you guys can have a seat. Uh, welcome once again to the well. And as you guys are having a seat, I'm just curious if you'll be brave. How many of you guys are here for the first time tonight? Raise your hand, first time. Can we welcome these people? There's a few, it's kind of awesome. <clears throat> we are super thankful that you're here. In fact, I just want to say to all of you guys, we never take it lightly that you walk in the door. Like, we're so thankful you're here, thankful you're taking a break from all the studying you've been doing tonight, I'm sure, right? And you're here to kind of do something different. So thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. Hey, it's Halloween, right? Close to Halloween. How many of you guys had some Halloween fun this weekend, maybe, doing something? Um, it's a really interesting season because we actually celebrate being scared, right? Think about that. Does anyone else think it's weird that we pay money to be afraid? Like we pay money to go to a haunted house or watch a scary movie or maybe get a costume we think might scare other people. It's just weird. So um, because that's the season, will you guys just turn to one or two people around you and just say, what am I afraid of? What are some things that come to mind? If I say, what are you scared of? Or what are you afraid of? So talk amongst yourselves and then we'll have you report. <clears throat> Okay, that's probably enough time to say a couple things, right? So here's what I want you to do. Um, just be brave, throw your hand up, I'll call on you. Funny things you're afraid of, serious things you're afraid of, it doesn't matter. What you got? Yes, right here. Clowns. They said that in the first service. How many of you guys are afraid of clowns? Clowns are weird. Okay, that's awesome. Um, okay, what's another one? Raise your hand right up here. Praying mantises. <laughs> Wow, and you got to cheer for that. That was amazing. Praying mantises. All right, what else? Yeah. Being inadequate. Being inadequate. Okay, not a funny one, but a serious one that some of us feel for sure. What else? Right over here. Spiders. Ah, totally. What else? Right here. Hold on. Say it again. Ah, not making an impact, right? Definitely. A very honest one. What did you guys say up here? College debt, absolutely, all right. That's good, yeah, we'll end on that one. That's a big one. Well, okay, so Halloween can be scary, but it can also be fun, and a lot of you, lots of you guys went all out on Friday night coming up with your costumes for the CM bowling party, right? So let's throw the slide up there. You guys did a good job, right? Um, I didn't go to the party because I was home with my boys, but as I was crawling in bed and you guys were all starting the party, I started to get texts from some friends that were sending me pictures of their uh, Halloween costume, which has been making me laugh for three days. So let's go to the next slide. I mean, for real, is that fantastic or what? Go to the next one. <laughs> And one more. <laughs> oh, man, it is so funny. We've been laughing so much. Like, people come to my house, and I pull up my phone. I'm like, you have to see this. It's so funny. Um, but Ben and I were talking a little bit about how these pictures make us laugh a lot. Um, but, but these pictures also uh, make us remember. They make us remember a lot of things, specifically the days right before little Eli um, came home to be part of our family. So I want to tell you part of that story tonight as we sort of get started. Um, we had been in the process of trying to adopt a baby for a while, several months, and we got a phone call from our caseworker saying that a birth mom way out in Seattle, Washington, had actually seen our profile online 
and was very interested in us being the parents of her baby that was going to be born in July. So the caseworker was calling to ask us if we were even interested in this because she said interstate adoption is very complicated and a lot of times doesn't even work out. And so are you sure that you want to sign on for this kind of stressful adventure? And you guys know Ben and I, we kind of like adventure. So we're like, sure, that sounds great. Sign us up. And so um, they told the mom that we were interested and several months went by. And long story short, in April, we found ourselves on a Skype phone call with her. Um, meeting her, talking with her for about an hour. Eventually, we're all crying, and she officially asked us to be the parents of her baby. So it was really super cool, and all of a sudden, this thing that we'd been waiting for got very real, and we, we said yes. Okay, so we kind of, about a week went, went by, um, and then we got an email that the birth dad, who was also in the picture, wanted to meet us. And so, <clears throat> so we did another Skype call with him. He's also out in Washington. And it was really great. We connected well with him. He's a really great guy. Um, but he told us at the end of the conversation, I just want to be honest with you. Um, I'm not sure what I think about this adoption thing. And I don't know if I'm going to agree or not. And if the birth dad doesn't agree, game off. The whole thing's over. And so now we went from, like, we finally know that we're going to get this baby in July to, wow, now we don't know. And so days went by, weeks went by, and he kept not making a decision. And, and eventually it got to the end of June, and this baby is due like in four weeks, maybe three weeks, and we still don't have an answer. And our caseworker came to our house and just said, hey, we have all been talking. We just want you to know that um, we think you have about a 50-50 chance of going to Washington and bringing this baby home. So your choices are to kind of remove yourselves from the situation. This has been really stressful. Um, it's been really hard. There's no shame in that. You could just pull out of this one and wait for another baby. Um, or you could fly to Washington and see what happens. Take your chances, 50-50 chance. There was also a chance that we could get this baby for a week or even a month and have to give him back. So there was a lot of really kind of painful options. Um, and so there we are in this situation. Um, what in the world <laughs> were we supposed to do? Have you ever been asked um, to do something crazy? something that would take great risk for you, something that would face your fears. Our fears in this situation were um, the fear of loving something and losing it. I had a fear of breaking Jaden's heart, our four-year-old, he was three at the time. Like, we're going to tell him we're going to get on a plane and go get your brother, and then that doesn't happen. I was really afraid of that. Um, sometimes God asks us to do things that are hard and take great risks. So here is the thing I want you to know tonight. God has a mission for you. Did you know that? God has a mission for you. Often, something that's asking you to face your greatest fears. And how you respond, whether that mission is small in the daily obedience or something big that takes great risk, how you respond will impact your life. It will impact the lives of the people who come after you. And it will even impact the kingdom of God here on earth. Um, tonight, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at two stories of people, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, who were also given a mission by God. And they responded very differently in two very different ways to that mission. So we're going to look at their stories and kind of say, what does this have to do with the mission God might be calling us to? And what does it say to us about how maybe we need to respond? So that's sort of the plan for tonight. Are you guys good with that? Is you guys ready to go? Okay, would you pray with me? And then we're going to dive in. 
Jesus, we are grateful to be in this warm room on a cold night. We're thankful for the friends that surround us. We're thankful for your presence here. And we're thankful for your word. So God, right now we ask that you would speak, that you would speak the things you want us to hear through the stories you've given us tonight. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, if you have a Bible, turn to Numbers 13. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and our friends in the back will bring you one. If you need one, raise your hand. Down here, right over there. Um, while you're turning to Numbers 13, just a little recap on what we've been doing this semester. We've been looking at a series called Reading Moses, Seeing Jesus. So the idea is we're looking at stories in the Old Testament that involve Moses, and we're comparing them to stories in the New Testament that they connect to, that they have some kind of connection. So we're reading stories of Moses, looking for Jesus and connections to him, and then basically asking, what does that have to do with our story? So tonight, we're going to read Moses and look at Jesus and see what that says to us. Um, so... Numbers 13, before we dive into this story, I want to give you just a little bit of context so we know kind of what has happened to this point before we dive in. All right, and this should sound sort of familiar. So the Israelites, the people of God, have been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years, very mistreated by the Egyptians. They cry out to God. God sends Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, what does he say to Pharaoh? Let my people go. And what does Pharaoh say? No way, okay? So God sends 10 plagues on the people of Egypt to convince Pharaoh to change his mind. And eventually Pharaoh says, yes, get the heck out of here. And he sends them out in the night. But as soon as he sends them out, Pharaoh changes his mind. He's like, no, I want them back. They are my labor. They're my slaves. So he sends his army out after them, and he goes with them, and they chase them into the desert. The Israelites come to the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea, and they walk through on dry ground. And then as the people get to the other side, the army chases them in. The water crashes down, destroys the army, destroys Pharaoh, and God's people are free, and they head out into the desert, right? So it's an amazing story. Then, after a few days, they get thirsty. There's no water. So what does God send? Water. <laughs> it's not a trick question. Um, they get hungry. They get hungry. And what does God send? Manna, and eventually quail. Someone asked me if I'd eaten quail today. Has anyone eaten quail? You have. Uh, interesting. I have not. I don't plan on it, actually. So God sends them water. God sends them food. And now it's time for them to go into the land, the promised land, the land that God promised to Abraham years ago, and for them to enter in and finally find rest after 400 years in captivity. So this is kind of what is happening up to the place where we start the story tonight in Numbers 13. So let's start with verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. And then from verse 4 down to verse 16, it gives the names of the 12 leaders of the tribes that were sent into the land. And they're sending them in, God says, send them in to spy out the land and go and check it out. So look at verse 17. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. 
See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So this is the assignment from Moses for the slaves. Now look down at verse 20, 21. I'm sorry, for the spies. I don't know why I said slaves. <laughs> he picks the 12 leaders. These are our 12 spies. And Moses is sending them into the land. So look down at verse 21. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob toward Labo Hamat. And basically what, is it, what that's telling us is they were going from the south of the land all the way through the entire land, the northern border, and back. That was the place that they explored. So go down to verse 25. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which, to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. So the spies come back and they say the land is very good, but the people there are very powerful. There is no way that we can conquer this land. Now, Caleb and Joshua are two of the 12 spies, and they have a different opinion. So look at verse 30. Caleb silences the people before Moses and says, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. So Caleb has a very different opinion than these other spies. Caleb says, no, God is sending us. We can do what he's sending us to do. But look at verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. So Caleb is saying, no, let's go. God is sending us. And these ten spies are saying, no way. We can't take those people. They're way too big. And then they start to give a bad report about the land. Do you remember when they started, they said the land was very good. Now they're saying the land is awful. It devours the people. We don't want to go there. So you have two very different opinions. And what happens is, the ten spies start to make all the people afraid. In fact, they're so afraid that they spend the entire night weeping, just crying about how miserable they are and that they can't go. And not only that, they start to say things like this. Man, I wish we were back in Egypt. This is so awful. Why did God bring us here if we're just going to die when we try to attack these people? Let's just go back. And then they say, let's raise up a new leader. And just have him take us back to Egypt. Because slavery is better than this. Flip to Numbers chapter 14. And go down to verse 6. Remember Caleb and Joshua have a different opinion. 
Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. And in their culture, this is a sign of mourning. They tear their clothes that the people are so afraid of what God is asking them to do. And they say to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Caleb and Joshua are begging the people not to be afraid while the other spies are talking the people into being afraid. And then the people stand up and want to destroy Caleb and Moses. And if you look at verse 10, it literally says, uh, the whole assembly talked about stoning them. So now all the people want to kill Joshua and Caleb because they're saying, no, let's be obedient, do the thing that God is asking us to do. I love what happens next because the text tells us that the glory of the Lord shows up. God's kind of like, I got your back, Caleb and Joshua. This is not going to happen. These people are not going to destroy you. And then listen to God's response. If you go down to verse 20, um, eventually God says, you know what? This is crazy. I've taken care of all these people through all of these hardships in the desert. And now they're dishonoring me and they're not obeying me. I'm done with them. I'm just going to wipe them out and start over. This is crazy. And Moses begs God to remember that he's forgiving and loving. And so listen to what God says. The Lord replied, this is verse 20, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. God says, you know what, because these people are afraid and not trusting me and not following me, they're not going to enter the land. And then I love verse 24 because God tells us what's different about Caleb. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So let's think about the story for a second. Moses sends one leader from every tribe. He sends them into the land to spy out the land. But ten are afraid. They're afraid of the people they saw there. They talk the entire Israelite assembly into not obeying God and going into the land. And the outcome is these ten spies are killed by the plague immediately. And God says, as for the rest of this entire generation, you are going to live in the desert until you're gone, until you fall and die in the desert. And this entire generation is gone. Forty years you will wander. And only Caleb and Joshua will enter in. No one else. Nothing good came from the fear of the ten spies and their decision not to follow God. This is tonight's story number one. Okay, so kind of like put that down a second in your mind, and we're going to flip to story number two. So turn over to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. And here we find a very different context. So I just want to kind of help our minds get there a second. 
Jesus is living in the land of Israel, and he has called 12 disciples to follow him. Probably young, many of them younger than you, kind of nobody kind of guys, just following a rabbi. And as they're following him in this context, they're seeing him do all kinds of amazing things. They're seeing him heal people. They're seeing him calm a storm on the water when they're out at sea. They even see Jesus raise people from the dead. They are seeing him do some incredible things, and now he's going to send them on a mission. So let's look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Now notice, how many spies do we have? 12. How many disciples do we have? 12. So there's an interesting connection here. Moses is sending 12 spies, and now Jesus is sending 12 disciples. If you look in verses 2 through 4, it gives us all the names of the disciples, and starting with verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you grow, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belt. Take no bag for the journey, no extra tunic or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone does not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what you will say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. This is the word of the Lord. So Jesus calls these 12 disciples together, and he says, I'm going to send you out on a mission. He sends them out to do the very things that he had been doing. Now, here's an interesting part of this. These things are impossible for them to do. Is it possible for them to heal the sick and raise the dead and do the things he'd be doing? It says he gave them authority and he sent them out to do what he had been doing. But he also does something else. He tells them about the risk. He tells them some of the really hard things that can and probably will happen to them if they go. So if you keep reading the story, ten of the disciples hear this. And make a list of all the things they're afraid of and all the reasons they should not do what Jesus is asking them to do. And then they talk the other two into not going. Is that what happened? It's not what happened at all. This story also happens in Luke chapter 9. And I want you to listen to Luke 9 verse 6. This is what it says. So they set out. And they went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. 
they went. We don't know a lot about what happened, but we know that they went. And they went again. And you know what? When Jesus died on the cross and their leader was gone, they went again. And they went farther and they took greater risk. And we know from church history in different, different places that a lot of these disciples died. And they died, some of them, really awful deaths. Because they chose to go and to risk and to do the things that God had called them to do. They went. And here's the really amazing thing. 2,000 years later, we are sitting in this room tonight in part because they chose to do that. They chose faith. They chose to follow the mission that God had given them. Instead of fear, they, cho they chose to go. And here we are, partly in result of that. So here's what I want to do. I want to kind of compare our two stories. So let's look at this slide. Um, sorry, it's a little uneven. Story on the left is Numbers 13 and the spies. Story on the right is Matthew 10 and the 12 disciples. So the who of story number one is 12 leaders of the tribe. The who of story number two, 12 ordinary men. Very interesting. The mission in story number one is to lead the people to take the abundant land God had promised them. Mission number two, lead the people to the abundant life he had for them, healing and speaking the promises of God. But they have very different responses. In story number one, they respond with fear. And not just their own fear, but they talk the whole people into fear. So much so that they led the people away from God's mission. The response of the disciples was faith. They went, they spoke, they took great risks. The result of story number one was death, their own deaths, and eventually the deaths of the entire generation that did not go, get to go into the land. The result of story number two is life. The gospel went forth, people were healed, and truth was spoken, and the church stands today because of it. Two very different outcomes in these two very, very different stories. So then we have to ask, why the difference? Why the different results? I'm going to teach you, of course, a Hebrew word to help us figure this out. So go to the next slide. Uh, practice this with me. The word is zakar. Zakar. Zakar means to remember. But to remember in the Hebrew context, the Hebrew culture, the Hebrew language of the Old Testament is very different than our idea of remember. Like right now you might be thinking, well, I really hope I remember the things I study for that exam on Tuesday. Okay, that's our, that's our sort of understanding of remember. In the Hebrew culture, in the Hebrew language, zakar is very much more. Zakar means to remember so as to do. Remember the things you've seen. Remember the things you've heard. Remember what God has done. And then live accordingly. Remember so as to do. Now the spies in story number one had seen so much. God brought them out of slavery in Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. He gave them water when there was none and brought manna down from heaven to feed them. They had seen God do so much for them. But here's the problem. They forgot. They forgot. Now the disciples had also seen a lot. They had seen Jesus heal. They had heard him speak of the kingdom of God. They had seen the blind receive sight. They'd seen people raised from the dead. And when it came time for them 
to hear their mission. They went because they remembered Zachar. They remembered what God had done, and they acted accordingly. And they went. So then we have to ask, what does this look like for us, right? What mission or calling might God be giving you right now, big or small? I thought of a lot of things this week that could come your way. Some of you guys are graduating in just six short weeks or six months and don't know what's coming next, right? Is your mission to trust God with your future and follow him as he leads you into the unknown? Some of you are thinking a little bit about, gosh, it'd be really cool to maybe go on a CM spring break trip. Will you trust God for money that is not there right now? And will you trust God that you could actually go on a trip with people you've never met before and have it change your life? Some of you guys might be thinking, man, this major I chose, I'm not sure this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And God might be nudging you to a different path. Will you trust him on the mission into the unknown? This is a hard one, but sometimes we're in relationships that just aren't good for us. Or maybe God is leading us away from a relationship that we're clinging on to. Will you trust God with your heart? Will you trust him with your future? Maybe it's as small as being kind to roommates that are driving you crazy, right? Will you love people when it doesn't make any sense? And when you don't feel like you have it in you, will you accept that mission? And it could be really big. It could be, is your mission as simple as choosing to believe that God is real? And choosing to surrender your life to him and follow Jesus, maybe for the first time. Maybe that's the mission. Whatever the mission is, it's difficult to choose. Will we choose faith or will we choose fear? What does Zachar look like? So I thought I would tell you two stories, two real-life examples of this as we close. Um, the most recent way I have seen Zachar is in my really good friend Dana. A lot of you guys know, some of you don't. One of my very best friends for all my life since childhood um, died of cancer this past January. And you can throw that picture up. Um, Dana, second, to, second from the left, those are her sisters and her mom. And they're wearing these awesome shirts that say, fear is a liar. And they're wearing these shirts because the whole time that Dana was fighting cancer was about a year and a half of a journey from her diagnosis, or I guess from when she got sick to when she actually died. Um, Dana's mantra as she walked that road was faith, not fear. I am going to choose faith on this journey. And for her, this is what it looked like. In the, in the face of death, I'm going to choose to trust God with my body, with my health. I'm going to trust him with my three children who I do not want to leave behind. I'm going to trust him with my husband and my friends and my mission here on earth. Because you know what? Dana had seen God's faithfulness all her life. She had seen him be good to her and seen his promises be true. And so she chose Zachar. She chose to remember. And I'm telling you, she lived that way and she died that way. And she stood firm to the end. Faith, not fear. This is what my friend Dana lived out for all of us. That's example number one. For Ben and I, 
Zachar, for us, meant remembering all that God had done in our past, the ways he'd cared for us, the ways he'd healed us, the ways he'd shown himself to us. And for us, it meant getting on an airplane and flying 2,000 miles away with a 50-50 chance of bringing a baby home. I'm happy to tell you that the day before that baby was born, the dad signed the papers, and the next day, Ben and I were in the room when Elijah John Post was born. And about three weeks later, we brought him home. So I thought I'd show you a picture because he's super cute. Yeah. <laughs> For Ben and I, life following Jesus has been an incredible adventure. But I also want you to know that it is not without loss. Um, it is not without risk. And it is definitely not without fear. But by choosing faith for the missions that God keeps sending us over and over and over, we begin to see God's faithfulness. And it becomes easier to choose faith over fear. As we were going actually to the hospital to pick up our first baby, that was also a really crazy story. We were getting in the elevator to go up to the birth floor to meet him for the first time. And Ben literally turns and looks at me in the elevator and he goes, following Jesus is so much fun. <laughs> so here's the thing. No matter who you are, whether you're a leader or you feel like I'm just an ordinary follower of Jesus, God has a mission for you. Sometimes that mission comes in the form of small things, daily obediences. And sometimes that comes in the form of big, huge change and risk and things that ask everything of us. Every time, though, whether it's big or small, it comes with a decision. Will you choose faith to trust God, to zakhar, to remember so as to do, or will you choose fear? And shy away from the mission that God is calling to you and honestly miss the adventure. What have you seen? What have you heard of God that will help you remember and then live accordingly? My hope is that tonight these stories that God's given us, the stories that have told, will somehow help us all choose the mission that God has given us to choose faith over fear, to believe God will see us through. Adventure awaits you guys, for real. And if you accept the mission, big or small, this I promise you, you will see the glory of God displayed in your life. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we're thankful tonight for your word, for the stories that it tells, you, tells us about you, for your faithfulness and your protection and your promises that we can cling to. God, we're thankful for the ways that your stories challenge us and call us to greatness and call us to trust you and follow you, come what may. So God, I pray for each one in the room tonight. God, whatever you're speaking, whatever you're calling us to, whether it's big or small, God, I pray in these moments 
during these next songs, will you just strengthen us? Will you give us courage? Will you help us trust you and really surrender to follow you into the adventure? And God, if there's someone here tonight that wants to follow you and surrender to you for the very first time, God, I pray you'd give them courage. I pray that you'd draw them near and show them how beautiful and wonderful you are. Jesus, we love you. We trust you. Help us trust you more tonight. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.